0: That leads Gentiles or Jews or whatever to see this is the way God arranged righteousness for both Jew and Gentile right. through the cross, you know, through Christ crucified, the sacrifice. The second coming, the stewarding of all the oracles of the land, temple, throne, the way you do all these things—they point to how the age to come looks, how to, so that people are. Pointing or pointed to the divine arrangement for the the Lord. Is that kind of what we were trying to... Yeah. The stewardship make? Yeah, you get
1: all the references to Israel, you are my witness, and to the nations, and so the indictment is concerning their idolatry, because like Isaiah 56, this is what the Lord says, maintain justice and do what is right, for my salvation is close at hand, my righteousness will soon be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this, the man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath without desecrating it, and keeps his hand from doing evil. Let no foreigner who has bound himself to the Lord say, The Lord will ex- will, will, will exclude me. Let not any eunuch complain, on the a dry tree. He goes on, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, who choose what pleases me, and hold fast to my temple, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name, better than sons and daughters. I'll give them an everlasting name that won't be cut off. <clears throat> These I'll bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. And so there's, there's the, you steward this thing in righteousness and this is what it will become in the future. And so the the... Get You um, get a meaning to the thing in itself, but it also points
0: to the things to come. So he's not, he's not rebuking them, saying, if you don't store these things, you're not going to get saved. But he's saying, if you don't store these things, people don't get the reminder of what I'm trying to say. Well,
1: because I think, think there they is... They use it for
0: righteousness. I mean, they, that's kind of well, that's the perversion, right? Right. But
1: the, the, the point is... You know, like right, so like Luke Luke eighteen. Right? So to get the, the the impact of the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, you you, you have to get the impact of chapter seventeen, right? Because you, you have this is foreign to a gentile, right? The the insurrectionist messianic hope. Maccabean hope, right? This is, we have a hard time with the Messianic kingdom on the earth and these kinds of things. Even more foreign is a perversion of the Messianic hope in the Maccabean insurrectionist, the confidence in the flesh that a man's going to rise up and be anointed by God and overthrow the wicked of the earth and hate. It's a rejection of the apocalyptic nature of the earth. So they come to him asking, how will the kingdom of God come? You know, and Jesus says, You won't say it's over here, you know, in the inner courts, like Matthew 24 is the parallel. Or you won't say it's out there in the wilderness, right? Because that's where insurrectionists, they they huddle in the inner courts, planning their schemes. They huddle out in the wilderness, build big armies, you know, they get dispersed. And and he says, because the the kingdom of God is among you or comes among you. It can be translated either way. Because the kingdom of God is like the lightning from the east to the west. It's like Sodom and Gomorrah. It's like Noah. It comes apocalyptically. It doesn't come by observation of the, of the movements of man and glory, right? And, and the glory of the flesh. And so then he tells a parable that men ought always to pray for the, the, the Lord to come apocalyptically in glory and they, not, they ought not to pervert it and put their hope in the strength of man. And so he gives the parable of the the widow who is crying for justice. And so the crying for justice is the crying for the kingdom of God to come, like the flood, like Sodom and Gomorrah, like lightning from the east to the west. That's the point, right? That's how you approach God in relation to the injustices of this age and how you approach God in relation to the longing for the age to come to actually happen. <clears throat> and so then he says, listen to what the unjust judge says. Will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, you'll see they get justice and quickly. However, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Okay, so then he transitions from that question to the parable. And the parable is, you have this perverted Maccabean insurrectionist hope, and you're going to release an insurrectionist and crucify me because you have this thing driving you called pride, arrogance, and self-exaltation. And this is the plague. It's, It's the plague of all human beings, but it's the plague of first century Judaism at that time, and that's how Paul in Romans 11 describes the hardness of the Jews and the perversion in a broad sense in Romans 11. He says they were arrogant, and so God broke them off. And he's grafted in you you Gentiles, so don't be arrogant, or you'll be broken off too. Right? So, and this just runs against everything the new perspective says, but they, they won't. It's infuriating. So the, 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 this is the plague of, of, this is the perversion of first century Judaism, and that is this arrogance and pride that puts hope in man and in the strength of man, and this is the parable that he tells. Two guys, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Let me tell you a parable. There's two people that go up to the temple to offer a sacrifice, to make atonement, to be saved from the wrath that comes when the judge executes judgment from that temple, right? The one says, So God I'm so glad, God, that I'm not like this tax collector over here. I, you know, I walk according to the law. I, I I do the law. I'm faithful. I do this. I finding my righteousness, right? There's not the repentant, the fear of God, the it's not the not relating to the law and righteousness. And here's the tax collector over here wailing, saying, God have mercy on me, a sinner. Who goes home justified before God in anticipation of the day of judgment? The Gentile goes home justified before God, right? Oh, no, 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 no. That's the point, is that it is to a degree about salvation. It's just that you're given, you're, you're, you're given you know, like the elder son, you're given responsibilities that others are not given. And you're to steward those things, but you're to steward them rightly, you know? And so what they had done is they had taken, you think you have eternal life because you study the scriptures, yet you won't come to God when the scriptures talk about me, you know? And so they find in the oracles that they're stewarding the basis of salvation. And that's the perversion, that's called pride and arrogance, and not fearing God and walking according to his ways, right? So the, the point is 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 that they have a responsibility as Jews. We have a responsibility as Gentiles. Gentiles be, can become Jews in all rights. That, that's, okay. that happens a lot. But that's what they're saying in the New Testament, is that they don't have to become Jews. But that doesn't relieve them of the responsibility of the oracles to steward
2: them in
0: righteousness. Yeah, I agree with that. Would you say... Mm-hmm. Our eldest son gets a million dollars from the father. If he's if he's responsible, if he's irresponsible, he might still get it. Like if he's if he fails in things, if he's not perfect. He might still get the million dollars, but if he perverts the thing, like you know, that he that he'll lose his inheritance. Yeah, right. if he's That's repentant. In his failures, right. then he'll get the inheritance. But if he's not repentant, his failures, right, like, and covers them like, up and whitewashes it right, out, and killing then, the Messiah so we could get the inheritance, all that right. stuff, then, so then, then it's wickedness. We'll and, take it away from you and give it to someone else. Okay. So, in, in, in the sense the stewardship, actually, because of their wickedness of, of dealing with it, actually cost them their inheritance. It's, unless they repent. Right. Okay. And it cost them their stewardship
1: in 70 AD. So you got to interpret 7080 some way okay. right and most people interpret it as the seal of the new inaugurated spiritualized kingdom
0: that took the, well they got disciplined for their stewardship for a time right but they're they're, they're right but that's, they're not disqualified right that's the point
1: so they perverted they perverted the law in the temple therefore they were broken off like paul says from salvation And then in 70 AD, they are also broken off from their stewardship in this age. You see what I'm saying? Whereas whereas what often happens is that 70 AD gets interpreted as the finishing of the the Jewish nationalistic hope. And that thing's over, and Jesus inaugurated a new spiritualized kingdom. That's kind of the preterist. Jesus realized the apocalyptic Jewish eschatology in the first coming, and that. Apocalyptic eschatology was realized in the 70 AD destruction. Did you catch that? You guys all get that? Mm-hmm. Because that's that's one of the centerpieces to inaugurational already not yet, is that 70 AD was the realizing of Jewish apocalypticism. Right. Yes. And so then we, we have to say, what was 70 AD? And we say 70 AD was a chastisement, in a removal of the stewardship, you, you see what I'm saying. He didn't give the stewardship over to the Gentiles
0: at that point. No, he just it removed just, it just removed the same it. way as he did okay. in the okay. exile. Right. He removed it and then he gave
1: it back to him in 1948. Unless you say it was just random and happen
0: chance, okay. which is most was So it was a 2,000-year discipline mm-hmm. on the oldest son, right, for stewarding that.
1: And if you want to take it the next step, you say. That's how bad the arrogance was in, in Second Temple Judaism in first century Palestine. That's how bad the arrogance was, that that was the only way God could humble it and bring it down, was was the right. intense destruction of the temple
0: like we read about in Josephus. So when Paul talks about the church being like a temple, is he saying, not, not that we're actually stewarding a temple, but that... Walking in righteousness and doing these things amongst Gentiles on your conduct be excellent. That works. Yeah, it's just
1: it's just saying it's analogous. The same way Jesus says, destroy this temple, and I'll rebuild it in three days. He's just making an analogy between the temple of God, in which the Spirit of God dwells, and the temple of the body, in which the Spirit of God dwells, and it's analogy. Right? You mean the house is big and white? It can't be big and white. It has to be one or the other. Don't you know? You understand what I'm saying? Like, we can be the temple of the Lord, and that can be the temple of the Lord. And. It doesn't have to be either or. You you understand what I'm saying? And so you you can make an analogy between the two, and you can call, you know, the body of Christ the temple of the Lord. Building, being built together, you know, Ephesians 2, and 1 Corinthians 6, and not disqualify the house of the Lord and the right. hope of the temple in the age to come. Right. You, can, you can
0: be analogous in it. He's not redefined.
1: Right, because, I mean, it, it, like, if there was, this is, this is the part of, listen, let's just look at it reasonably, you know? So, if we have, like, this massive redefinition but now the church is the new temple and the new Israel and the new Jerusalem and the new Davidic, you know, throne on on it's now on high and these whatever all this and it's like, you like, we wouldn't just have vague analogies and maybe a verse here and there that are taken out of context and stacked one verse on top of the other, right? We would have if that was the inauguration of the thing we would have page after page after page and what would they be like they would be a lot like the rhetoric of modern inaugurationalism right they would sound like the epistles the new testament would sound like revelation 19 hallelujah salvation and glory and power belong to our god for true and just His judgments He's avenged your blood. Hallelujah. The smoke goes up for her. Amen. I hallelujah. Praise our God, all you servants. Fear. Hallelujah for the Lord Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory for the wedding and the Lamb has come. His bride made herself ready. Right? And this is what the, this is what the epistles would be like. They would be a hallelujah chorus that it has happened and it's come. And we need to realize it by faith more and more. You know, and that's, that's just not. It's not just that it's not there. It's just, it's just not there.
0: You know what I'm saying? I'll be paused every day to come. To right, it. And,
1: and so you get these like vague references to analogies between the church and the temple. You get like vague references to, you know, kingdom of God's not a matter of eating and drinking righteous joy and peace in the Holy Spirit. See, it's present, brother. Well, yeah, but the whole thing's present. That's his point. Live is in the daytime, mm-hmm. Right? The daytime is not a matter of eating, and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. The judgment seat of Christ is not a matter of eating, and drinking, but righteous, joy, and peace, and love. Being held accountable is not a matter of eating, and drinking, and righteousness. Like the whole passage is about the eschatology. The whole passage is about what matters on the day of God and in the age to come. Right? And you get one little passage that fits in with the rest of the passage that the inheritance, your inheritance, brother, is not a matter. Right? You're the son of, you're the son of a fine, long line of electricians, son. Your inheritance is not a matter of video games and recreation and sports. (laughs) Your inheritance is a matter of wires and and circuits, right? So, like, this is his point, that your inheritance, the age to come, the kingdom of God is not a matter of celebrating specific days or kosher this or that, right? It's a matter of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, so each man should should be affirmed of what, what he believes and if he believes that on that day that eating and drinking matters, then he walk that out. And if, if he doesn't, and he puts on a show like Peter was in Galatians 2, then that's sin. Okay, so he's just affirming, look, Jewish calling, Gentile calling, get along. I believe all things are clean. If you want to, that's fine. You know what I mean? But we don't take like one little verse, pull it out, and all of a sudden we got like four or five verses strung together, and now it's been realized. It's like, no, let's look at it with a little bit of reasonableness in the Holy Spirit and say, no, they didn't, there wasn't a replacing of all of the hopes of Israel. There wasn't a replacing of the restoring of the kingdom of Israel. There wasn't a replacing of the glory of Zion or the Davidic throne and ruling on it and the temple and the house of the Lord, my father's house. There's never any kind of, oh, you're perverting my father's house. How dare you turn it into a marketplace? You know, like that's the that's the approach to it. It's not a, it's not a disregarding or undermining approach.
2: So uh, I forget in which part, but you talking about how uh, man has always been in dominion of the earth. Um, so I guess my question is there. In scripture, a lot of times it are to Satan as like the, the ruler of the earth, or like the you know the god of this age, or something like that. Um, so how do you, I guess, reconcile like man has always been in dominion? Because I was always told that when man fell, that we lost dominion of the earth. Right, right. So, so there's no there's no there's no commentary.
1: There's not commentary in the narratives that follow. There's no commentary in the Psalms. There's no commentary in the Prophets. Never anywhere else does it say this massive theological idea that you just said. Mm-hmm. You understand what I'm saying? This is not a small man lost dominion of the earth. Mm-hmm. The whole earth is about ruling over various businesses and governments and different forms and marketplace and civic Private, like there's the the head of this, the head of that, the head of this, right? We got heads over everything. Like that is a it's a huge idea to say man lost dominion in the first right. So then to look at well, what do you do then with like you know Ephesians two, walk according to the spirit of the prince of the air, such. It's you, you just you look at it the same way as you look at the King of Iran, right now. King Abdullah, what's his name? Right? So, like, he is what he is. He's the king of that place. And he's perverting his authority. Right? And you got a lot of people walking according to that perversion. And they'll be judged according to it. So, you just look at it as like Jude 1. So, the angels who did not keep their positions of but abandoned their home these he's kept in chains bound with darkness for everlasting chain, for judgment on the great day in similar ways Sodom and Gomorrah similar and surrounding towns gave themselves up to immorality and conversion. they served as an example of those who were suffered, suffered the punishment of eternal fire. So you have a just a the, the powers in the heavens have simply rejected their positions of administration and perverted them. In the same way that Sodom and Gomorrah perverted their righteousness in, in their ways and deeds, right? And so you get the, you know, Colossians 1, he's the firstborn and created things in heavens and the earth, visible and invisible, where the thrones or powers, rulers or authorities so like Ephesians 1. God exerted the power in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also the age to come. As for you, when you were dead in your trans- trans- transgressions and sin in which you lived, when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the, of the air, the spirit that's now at work and those who are disobedient, right? So you have a perversion in the heavens, over the dominions and powers in the, in the heavens, and you got people underneath them that are walking according to that perversion, and Christ Jesus sits above that, sitting at the right hand of God with all authority given to him. What does it mean when he says in Matthew 28, all authority's been given to me in the heavens and on the earth. Therefore, go make disciples. He's saying, I'm the one the Father's entrusted to judge the, the living and the dead, to do the Isaiah twenty-four, hurting up the powers in the heavens and the kings on the earth into a dungeon, right? So he's just saying, Look, the Father's given me all authority, and I sit at the right hand of God, waiting to make my enemies <coughs> my Right? So this is how he's relating to the powers and principalities underneath him, walking in perversion. So it's not that it's not that all of a sudden, I mean, something massive changed when Adam sinned, and something massive changed when Satan and the, and the other angels sinned, but the the responsibility was still placed upon them, and they will be kept in chains for judgment on the great day, the same way that men now die and are kept in chains for judgment on the great day. You see what I'm saying? So it's not like there's some sort of battle going on. It's not There's not a God
2: at war going on. Right, so what you're saying is just because it says that Satan... You know, rules over the people. You know that are following him. It doesn't mean we're not responsible as, as far as being, you know, having dominion over the earth. Right. Yeah, we're we're still responsible. Okay. Yeah, that it. makes sense. We all in willing sin and, and mm-hmm.
1: judged for it. You're a dominionist. Mm-hmm. I am a dominionist at heart. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: God, I'm hurt. <laughs> um, I was intrigued when you had mentioned in Acts twenty one that Paul went to the temple for sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Um, so I turned there and went, "Wow, okay, I'm going to that." So, yeah. <laughs> but it made me think about Hebrews. Um, you know, like I-, I thought about, okay, well, if you know, the circumcision obviously has no. Um, it's meaningless. It has it's no Christ. determination right. on inheritance of eternal life. But so, what What does it mean where Christ is the Lamb, the sacrifice, and you know, his blood atones, why would there still be sacrifice going on? Like, just help me understand that at all. Yeah.
1: Uh, one, we'll get into this tomorrow. Okay. So we're going to do a whole session on the system sac- okay. of grace God, and house so house that'll kind of help. But two, Hebrews 9 isn't it's not denigrating the sacrificial system. It's just saying that was ordained for that time, like the law was given for transgression, Galatians three, so the sacrificial system was given for the stewardship of the presence of God in, in the tabernacle and in the temple, so that men could come into the presence of God in a sinful state and not die. Right? they could be cleansed according to the flesh, right, because they're they're coming before God in the flesh, but they're not coming before God for eternal judgment. And so there's blood of bulls and ghosts doesn't cleanse and atone for the soul when the soul receives its salvation in a body of life. So that's what blood of bulls and goats, ultimately points toward is mm-hmm. a better sacrifice built on better promises of atonement. Mm-hmm. Lesser promises of atonement for the flesh, better promises for atonement of the soul, the, for the cleansing of the conscience the conscience, Hebrews 9, that we might inherit the, the eternal inheritance. How does it say that? Uh, say, say, say. So you're saying there's two different
3: types of cleansing in life? Well, oh, yeah, he's saying the blood of bulls and
1: goats and the ashes of the heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so that they're outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit, offering himself and blemish to God, cleanse our consciences mm-hmm. from acts that lead to death, so that we may serve the living God? For this reason Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Now that he has died as a ransom to set free from sins committed under the first covenant.
3: But wouldn't that conscience? Like the, I, I'm like I'm thinking. So, but I'm thinking like you know to be cleansed in my conscience would be in connection with cleansing of the flesh. Obviously, you right. know, like I mean, it's in the scriptures in chapter one. So i was just wondering if you could help me understand that. No,
0: I,
1: it's 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 just a. This, this is part of. It's not a perfect boat with, yeah. with uh, no it's holes. And, you know, it's the game of <laughs> the prophets don't have this perfect systematic vision laid out. But they do have a vision that's laid out, and they long to look into it with some degree of clarity. So likewise, it doesn't have to all make sense perfectly for us, but we can, we can take it at face value and go, yeah, I mean, that cleansed outwardly so that, they could go in when the presence of God is in the cloud there, but it it doesn't save them on the judgment to come, and so that's why God sent a better sacrifice to cleanse us inwardly, so that we could inherit the eternal promises. That I guess just you the know,
3: continuing of cleansing after that is like oh, okay.
0: it's a weird idea for us. You know. Yeah, it's a weird idea. Okay. But and we, to them, like we we just well, take it well it that's going, what you know. I mean. It's like well, really what does that. that
3: require of me then right now?
1: Well, this is part of the Jew-Gentile yeah. thing. Yeah. Like, are we stewarding that yeah. temple? Are we stewarding the sacrifices? And so the Peter's, assumption that Peter's they're, they're, meeting, the again, they're yeah. meeting day to day in the temple and from home to home, the assumption is they're still offering sacrifices at the beginning of Acts. And they're doing it to remain ceremonially clean in light of the stewardship of that thing and in light of the return of Jesus. and So... Like, you can't, you, if you sit there and stare at Acts 21, because that's the conundrum is Acts 21, you, you have to walk away from that and go, no, Paul was honest. He, he, wasn't, he wasn't telling the Jews to forsake Moses. He was telling the Gentiles that they didn't have to be circumcised and that they didn't have to bear the weight of that law. But he did not tell the Jews. He, right after Acts 15... He takes Timothy out and he circumcises Timothy. Why? Because of the Jews who lived in that area. Right? It's not like he's not, he's not, he he doesn't have like this overarching principle going. He's just simply saying, look, the Gentiles don't have to become Jews to be saved. That's all he's saying. And this is the law I lay down in 1 Corinthians 7. If a man was circumcised before he came to the Lord, he should stay circumcised. If a man was uncircumcised, he should stay uncircumcised. He should stay in the position that he was when he came to the Lord. This is the law I lay down in all the churches. We're getting in. We're getting more into tomorrow okay. a lot of the issues. So we'll come yeah, kind of so, uh, Okay.
0: So,
4: so you're saying mm-hmm. so that was, so it's basically for the Jews that was being carried on because they saw the temple was still there. There's still the Jewish tradition going on, or stewardship, as you call it. Now, I know when they rebuild the temple, they're going to start that sacrifice again before Jesus returns. But the question is, when Jesus returns, that sacrifice won't be going on. When he establishes His messianic kingdom, will the sacrifices be reinstituted? And if so, why? If the blood of Jesus is the blood of the better covenant covering it all?
1: Yeah. yeah, I mean, why why was it still going on when Hebrews was written? I, well,
4: if I'm hearing you correctly, it had to do with, I mean, all the Jews in the temple, had they received, had they acknowledged that Jesus was Messiah? It's almost
1: like I mean, we well, got a hold on, mixture hold on, of parts hold on, hold on. going on there.
3: Look at, look at Acts 21. Mm-hmm.
1: They heard this, they praised God, verse 20, and then they said to Paul, you see, brother, how many thousands of Jews have believed and all of them are zealous for the law. They've been informed that you teach all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn away from Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children and live according to our customs. What shall we do? They will certainly hear that you have come, so do what we tell you. Therefore, four men, take a vow, take these men, join in their purification rites, pay their expenses so they can have their heads shaved, everybody will know there's no truth in these reports about you, but that you yourself are living in obedience to the law. As for the Gentile believers, we have written to them our decision that they should abstain from food, sacrificed to idols, from blood, the meat of strangled animals, sexual immorality. The next day Paul took the men and purified himself along with them. Then he went to the temple to give notice of the dates of the days of purification would end and the offerings would be made for each of them. So... uh, I I don't know how it will be in the age to come. I I know that there wasn't any problem with the sacrificial system in light of the greater sacrifice, that the sacrificial system was not seen as a negative thing or, or even an abrogated thing. Now, whether it will continue in the age to come, it seems like it will from Ezekiel. You know, it's, it's hard to look at that thing, and most people just walk away from it. Say, it's too confusing, got to walk away, there's no need for sacrifices. Or even, you know, like we just read in Isaiah 56, they'll come to my holy mountain, I'll give them joy in my house of prayer, the house of prayer, they'll offer sacrifices. And so you, you have lots of places where there's references to sacrifices in the age to come.
4: Well, except in the age to come, though, there are going to be peoples on the earth who aren't saved, saved right? They may acknowledge yeah, that they're not.
1: Yeah, if there's a transitional age and there is still need for cleansing of the flesh, I think that's the place for sacrifices.
4: Because it's 2,000 years and neither the Jews mm-hmm. nor the Gentiles have been doing those sacrifices. And if so, why is that okay? If...
1: If there's a need for that, yeah. I mean, it's kind of why it was okay in the in the exile, you know, between when it was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar and rebuilt under Cyrus. Uh, how does the Lord view it and ordain it? And,
3: uh, Interesting. Yeah. No. I. I this
1: is, these, these, these are the things that you you kind of have to come to grapple with and. What I what I want you guys to walk out with is to just hold the tension. Because what ends up happening is you, you get a whole bunch of tensions going on and it's like well, it's just easier to say the whole thing was replaced and done away with and now that's been realized in the church now. And all that. you know, none of that and I'm not saying that. No, no I'm, I'm not saying, no, I'm, not saying that. I'm just I'm, I'm, not I'm just saying let's just let's keep it to Let's keep it to the cruciform, focus on the cross, and the apocalyptic. And we don't want to do away with the Jewish apocalyptic. We want to hold to it because it's never undermined or degraded. But we also want to hold to the cruciform, the interpretation of the cross, in light of of the Jewish hope to come.